0: third and four he shows up on tape Mayfield with a bullet Callaway in the open and the touchdown there's a flag right at the point of the catch 54 yards Mayfield with a bullet to Antonio Callaway. good timing throw balls out of his hands Out of the break boom there's the ball there's the penalty And then some missed tackles, and Callaway was gone. And the thing about this slant, he didn't throw it behind him. He threw it in front, away from the defender. Right in stride, he catches it, and off he goes.
1: From the artificially cooled to 68 degrees Sportscaster studio in beautiful Buffalo, New York, this is Steve Bennett here for season 8, episode number 10. It is August 8-ish, August 10th, August 10th, 2018. And uh, it is a beautiful day in Buffalo, New York. Great show for you today. This is one of those shows that... We did in season one, and we did in season two, and we did in season three, and so on. We do it every year. We have Aaron Schatz from Football Outsiders on. Uh, We spend about 45 minutes breaking down the NFL season based on Football Outsiders research. They have an incredible uh, piece of intellectual property called the Football Outsiders Almanac, which is released every year. Uh, And Aaron was nice enough to send me a PDF of the Almanac, uh, and I dug through it uh, before I spoke with him, and uh, we do 45 awesome minutes uh, on that. Also on the show today, Matt Yoder from Awful Announcing and The Comeback uh, joins us not so much to talk about Awful Announcing or The Comeback, although we do a few minutes on that, but he joins us mostly to talk about the Saints. Uh, Matt and I are huge Saints fans. And at the end of the show, we do about 45 minutes as well uh, on the upcoming Saints season. It's something that Matt and I have done every year since 2014. So that's the show today. Quickly looking back on last week's show, uh, Max Olson uh, from The Athletic was on uh, to talk about Last Chance You, and I have kind of a funny story. So I put the podcast up last week and... uh, I get a tweet together, you know, and I'm tagging Last Chance, you, and I'm tagging Max and tagging The Athletic, and I get this tweet out, and I'm all pumped. New show, you know. Every week when the show goes up and you get this new piece of content out into the world, you know, even if only six people are listening to it, there's this kind of relief that washes over you, and it's like, all right, nice, this is out there. And uh, a couple seconds go by, and I look, and I have a new follower on Twitter, and I'm like, oh. And I look, and it's Coach Brown from Independence. (laughs) And I immediately go into panic mode because I spent the entire podcast talking about how the guy is a crazy person. And I'm like, oh, no, he's going to listen, and he's going to hear me say that I'm a crazy person, and he's going to make it to Buffalo, and he's going to kill me. Uh, But the more likely outcome is that he never clicked on my profile, and he never listened to the podcast. And uh, it's safe that I call him a crazy crazy person. if he did listen, uh, hopefully he listened to the entire segment where I did say that his approach is essentially effective in the end. So that was kind of a funny story. Also last week on the podcast, Jeff Perlman uh, returned. And I love having Jeff Perlman. Jeff Perlman is someone that, let me say this, I respect so much as a human being. Like Jeff is a wonderful father. And he's someone that I look up to, someone that I strive to be as good of a father as Jeff Perlman. Like, that's a goal of mine in life because he's such a wonderful father and such a wonderful guy. Uh, As my daughter walks into the room, Paul, would you like to be on the podcast today? You want to come sit by daddy and say hello to everyone on the podcast? She does not. Uh, Jeff Perlman is just a wonderful guy. He's someone I look up to and someone I respect and we do disagree on politics often, uh, but luckily the interview last week was void of that, uh, and we talked about a bunch of different really cool shit. So if you missed last week's show, you can go back, soundcloud.com slash sports or you can find us on Apple Podcasts, or you can find us on Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Of course, please follow me uh, on Twitter at sports underscore casters uh, and email me the sportscasters at gmail.com I wanted to mention that last night I was up until the wee hours of the morning talking with my friend Peter Winston from greetings from Allentown one of the great wrestling podcasts out there as we convened the Adams division uh, podcast as we like to call it and recorded a very special episode of that podcast which is SummerSlam 1988 to 1998, and we broke them down and ranked them, and we had a lot of fun. Uh, follow Peter. He's at GF Allentown Pod on Twitter. And of course, his podcast, Greetings from Allentown, is in all the same places that the Sportscasters is. Uh, but follow my Twitter uh, to look for a link when the podcast we recorded last night goes up. The plan is for it to go up August. 13th monday august 13th uh so i wanted to i wanted to say that uh let's see what else nothing nothing else that is everything that is everything i wanted to say in this beginning segment oh it's pearl jam season it's pearl jam season guys i watched the first show the other night the home shows they are in seattle and they opened up with uh with a great great opening show Uh, at Safeco Field. And I watch most of it on the internet. And they're going to play a second show at Safeco tonight. And then they are going to play a show in Montana. And then they're going to play two shows in Chicago, which I will be at. And I am pumped for. So next week we'll still have a show. But the week after that, when we have a show, we will hear all about my trip uh, to Chicago for Pearl Jam. I'm very excited. Uh, Tammy and I... Mrs. Castor are going on the trip. We really haven't had a trip like this since our honeymoon, uh, so we are very excited to get away for a few days. Uh, and I am very excited for for uh, Pearl Jam. And um, my brothers are coming out for one of the shows, uh, so that's always awesome. And uh, I'm just pumped. So, with that said, and everything else, we're gonna take. This is what we're gonna do. We're gonna take a break. Uh, We're going to come back with Aaron Schatz from Football Outsiders. Uh, Then we'll come back. I'll update the book club real quick. Uh, Then we'll take another break. We'll have an interview with Matt Yoder from Awful Announcing. And then I'll come back and finish the show out with one last thing. So, with all that said, let's take a break, and we will be right back with Aaron Schatz. All right, our first guest today lives in the greater Boston area and is a graduate of Brown. He is the executive editor and the main man at Football Outsiders, and he's nice enough to come on this podcast every single year. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Aaron Schatz. Hello, Aaron. How are you doing today, buddy? Hi, I'm
2: good. I'm good. It's a good year. I'm uh, waiting for preseason to start, and... Uh... Just enjoying talking football with lots of folks. That's what the preseason's about for me.
1: I watched episode one of Hard Knocks this morning, so that that's like the that's like the get ready moment for me. So yeah, I
2: haven't watched it yet, but I've heard that it's a lot of fun. I've heard Jarvis Landry goes off.
1: Oh, does he ever? <laughs> he he gets into one. He sure does. Um, you know, for me, the way you know, I don't know if you recall, but I'm a big Saints fan. So the way last season ended, I don't I don't know if I'm ready yet, really. Like I don't know. Like that—that's a tough—that's a tough—that's a tough loss to to bounce back from.
2: Yeah, it's 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 hard. You've got memories of 2009 at least to keep you going a little bit. But uh, I mean, I believe me as a Patriots fan, I know from tough season-ending losses. I remember 2007, some.
1: Right. Well, it's funny because I don't know. Like the Saints have since they won the Super Bowl in 2009, they've lost three playoff games that have names. Like, if a playoff game gets a name and you didn't win it, you, you know it was no good, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> they lost the catch three in San Francisco on the uh, Alex Smith to, um, who the hell was it? Vernon Davis, Vernon Davis, yeah, Vernon Davis on that play after Breeze had taken him down the field two times to win it. Then they lost the Beastquake game. When they had like they were eleven and five playing on the road against a seven and nine team, and then now they've lost the—is it Minneapolis or Minnesota Miracle? The
2: the Minnesota Miracle. Yeah, the uh, Scott Kazmar's written about this. I don't know the specific numbers, but there's nobody who has as many fourth quarter comebacks that they lose because their defense then gives up another comeback to the other team. There's no one who has more of those than Drew Brees.
1: He won that game twice. He won it twice in the last five minutes. You know, I mean, he did everything he could. So, you know, here's something I do every every game. And you could probably relate to this with Brady. When every game ends, I, I, one thing that goes through my head every time is like, "Wow, that's one less. That's one less for him as our as our guy." You know, it's one less time, and I try to appreciate whether we won or lost. I try to appreciate like what he's meant to me as a fan.
2: Uh, at this point. Both teams, the Saints and Patriots, are just playing with house money because there's no way that Breeze and Brady should still be playing this well at their ages, but they are.
1: Yeah, and when you look at the football outsiders' projections for 2018, I mean, two of the top four in average wins uh, projections for the season. So Right,
2: because there's, there's a good chance that, you know, there's a reasonable chance that one of them is going to suddenly feel his age but it's not greater than a 50-50 chance. So you still have to project as if they're going to play well, even though you know there's a significant possibility that one of them is going to get old.
1: Don't you feel like both teams have been really smart about the way that they've kind of protected them a little bit? You know, the Saints, the way they've built the offensive lineup, the way that they've shifted to running a little bit more, you know the Patriots as well have sort of built their backfield up. They always have four or five guys. You know, it seems like both teams have been smart about it. No,
2: I don't know how much. I don't know how much you need the run to protect a quarterback. I mean, it made Breeze throw less last year, but um I mean, building up the offensive line is what's important. Building up pass protection.
1: Yeah, I mean, I hated I hated on the Andrus Pete draft pick at the time. Um yeah. I, I couldn't have been more wrong about that. Because I mean the guy was just so important last year, his versatility, the way he can play so many different spots on the line. And, you know, it's gonna be interesting to uh sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say in the Breeze era, you know, I've always felt like you know, they've they haven't paid many oh. offensive linemen. You know, they've let Carl Nick they let Carl Nicks go, they let Bushrod go, they've let a lot of guys go. And I feel like part of that is because Breeze is sort of a six offensive lineman, the way he can get rid of the ball, the way he can kind of make up for some of, if there's a hole in right guard, you know, he can, he senses that. He plays around that a little bit. But, man, the way it's built up right now with the athletes they had. I was at the, I was at a, uh, I went to the Bills and Saints game last year. which, If you don't recall, was just a, I think it was 48-3 to at one point. And there's this play, uh, like a third and goal, and the Saints have had about nine, nine running plays to get down the field in a row. And they call a, a throw, and there's nothing there, and Breeze kind of rolls out to the right. He ends up rushing it in for the touchdown. But ahead of him is Tron Armstead, just kind of pulls out of his spot and is running probably two times faster than Breeze, and with one hand just throws the guy from the three-yard line into the end zone. It's like, whoa. <laughs> whoa. Say, it's, it's interesting because the Patriots have a
2: guy just like Andrews Peet this year. They used a first-round pick on Isaiah Wynn, who, like Pete, is a guy where people aren't sure whether he's a guard or a tackle. They're not sure whether there's a spot for him in the starting lineup in his first year. There was originally some talk he'd be the starting left tackle. Then there was some talk that he would be at left guard replacing Joe Thune. Now it seems that Thune is back on the first team and Wynn is not going to start. And it sort of reminds me of Pete's first year. Right? When Pete was a rookie, didn't he go back and forth between guard and tackle? He wasn't originally in the starting lineup, yeah, wherever injuries required him to go.
1: Exactly. And the thing Those with Pete,
2: sort of similar players.
1: The thing with Pete was everyone thought he was too big to be a guard. And everyone's like, you know, he's just too big. You won't play he's not gonna be able to play guard, he's gotta play tackle. And I mean he's he's literally played everything but center for us. And you know, and done all of them well. He's played left tackle, right tackle, right guard, left guard. You know, he's played all for it.
2: Yeah, it's interesting that he's too tall to be a guard.
1: Right, yeah, exactly. Because that's
2: the big difference between them is Win is five inches shorter, looking it up right now. But, but with Win it's the arms, right? So it's just like, oh, is the arms, are his arms big enough to play tackle? Joe Thomas had below average arms. I'm sick of hearing about the arms.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, every position has to have a thing, right? Like with the DBs, it's ball skills. You know, you hear, so you hear all these crazy cliches. But, yeah, arms. Right. Yeah, whatever.
2: And I'm more interested with DBs. I want coverage skills more than ball skills. Picking the ball out of the air is nice, but it's pretty random. Coverage is, is – there are way more plays that are affected by coverage than are affected by picks, even though picks are so important.
1: Right. Like, if, like, let's say there's 10 seconds left in a playoff game and you're a 99.3% favorite to win that game, and the ball – is in the air and you duck down and do whatever Marcus Williams did. Like, that's the kind of thing you you would like some more coverage goals well, there.
2: <laughs> I think that he thought he was going to – I think he also probably thought he had someone behind him.
1: I'm I didn't – it wasn't a great call. There was too many guys in the middle of the field. There wasn't enough guys on that side. And you know what, Marcus Williams, I don't know if you've heard this, but everyone who's at camp every day say he's having the best camp of anyone on the team. So he had a great
2: rookie year. He had he, a great he, rookie year. And th- it's awful that he's known for one thing because he had a great rookie year.
1: And they wouldn't have been in the game if he didn't make a pick earlier to, uh, That's to correct. help them come back. All right. Anyway, let's back up. Let's take a uh, step back. Cause we got on a little, we got off the rails yapping about our teams there for a second. Uh, 2018 football outsiders. I look forward to this every year, as much as I look forward to anything in August, hard knocks, football outsiders, T- saints, QB rookie, cha- uh, Saints QB challenge they do after every practice like those are my favorite things in August to keep me busy. Tell me about the book this year, like the evolution. What's new? What's the same? How you felt about getting it out? Anything you can think well, of you about know, the this same
2: book. book? We do every year. It's the same book we do every year. Uh, previews of all thirty-two teams, talking about what happened last year, what we see happening this year. Um, you know, changing in, changes in schemes. A little bit of film discussion, stat discussion about stat trends. Uh, The fantasy projections for all the fantasy players with comments about all the quote-unquote skill positions. Uh, College previews for the top 50 teams are in there. Um, There's a few new stats this year. There's a little bit more concentration on looking at wide receivers uh, and uh, other receivers lining up tight compared to lining up wide. I can hear that that's very exciting for your child.
1: She loves it. (laughs)
2: Uh, uh, but, uh, for the most part, it's just, you know, it's all new content every year, but in in the same structure, I think the big, the big, you know, some chapters have sort of interesting looks at things this year. There's a long discussion in Chicago about the whole, you know, issue of hiring a young coach with a young quarterback and whether you can expect what happened with the Rams uh, last year to happen. When that you know when other teams do it, which the answer is don't expect it. Right. There's the whole Cleveland chapter is a court case of the people versus Sashi Brown, with me and Mike Tanier uh, arguing different sides of whether Cleveland screwed up analytics. Uh, there's just a lot of stuff in here. It's over 500 pages as usual.
1: Yeah, it can be overwhelming. But my absolute favorite thing to do when I get this every year is go to the projections page. Love it. It's like. So fun, and I want to talk about a few things that jump out to me on here. So for anyone who doesn't know, was it 10,000 simulations you do? It's a million simulations. A million, okay. <laughs> so, it's a million simulations because
2: there's a thousand different groupings of our DVOA ratings that we do based on all the possibilities. And then for each 1,000 groupings of DVOA ratings, we simulate the season 1,000 times. So in total, it comes out to a million
1: simulations. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. So here's what jumps out to me first. The very first thing I feel is like, okay, the Patriots or excuse me, the Steelers have the highest percentage to win the Super Bowl. They win at thirteen point eight percent of the time. Yep. It just fe- it, it just feels really tight, like a really tight league this year. You know, it, it doesn't seem.
2: Our projections are naturally conservative. Pretty much every year, it's a little tighter than it was last year. When okay. we had the Patriots so far ahead of everybody. But our projections are always very conservative. We have a very conservative projection system. So everything always floats around between seven and nine and nine and seven for almost every team. And so, yeah, almost every team in the league is between 6.9 and 9.5 average wins. Because, look, there are the simulations where a team just has bad luck. There's simulations where you lose your quarterback and all of a sudden you're much worse. There's all kinds of possibilities. So, um, you know, it explores the range of possibilities. Just think of all the things that last year nobody would have ever thought the Rams would go, whatever, 13-3 and three or whatever they were.
1: Yeah. Total, uh, total no form, one would have thought
2: that the Giants would go 2-14 and 14 or whatever they were. Um. So there's a range of possibilities each year, and that's, that's why our projection system is somewhat conservative. But what matters most for the projections is sort of looking at the order of who's on top and who's on bottom. And this year, I think what really stands out is, first of all, the dominance of the NFC. Seven of the top nine teams are NFC teams in the uh, DPOA projection. Right. And the other is there's a big gap between the top eight teams in the league and everyone else. We have the top eight teams head and shoulders above everybody else. Now, and one of those teams, there's subjective reasons to believe that maybe they're not quite as good as, and that probably is Dallas, which we have significantly bouncing back. And I understand their receiving core looks so bad that people might be a little bit hesitant about our projection, but still these eight teams are far ahead of the rest of the league. And that's new England and Pittsburgh, Rams and Saints, Packers and Vikings, Eagles and Cowboys.
1: Right, yeah, the NFC is so loaded. You know what really jumps out to me? So loaded. So loaded. It's it's frightening how loaded it is, uh, especially if you're a fan of a team in the NFC. But you look at the – you know what shocked me? Because it's something I look at right away just living here. Is the Bills 5.4 wins? Like, wow, I expected the Bills to take a step back maybe with changing at quarterback and things like that. But, whew, dead last in the rankings. I did well, that not expect that.
2: projection is awful. Their offensive projection is awful. Offense is easier to predict than defense. Mm -hmm. So the the span of the offensive projections is much wider than the span of the defensive projections. Right? Because each projection is actually the average of all of the possible projections. And so the possible projections on offense, there's a much larger span of possibilities. And so Buffalo's offense projection is terrible. Their quarterback position is terrible. There is no reason to believe that they are going to have anything that even resembles average quarterback play. And so their projection is horrible. I mean, their defense projection isn't good either, but I could see where we might be wrong about defense. But offense, you're talking about a career backup and one of the worst projected first-round picks that we've seen ever, <laughs> and then whatever Nathan Peterman is. So you guys- That's the three guys competing for the role.
1: So you guys weren't Josh Allen fans?
2: No, no. And I have to explain to people from Buffalo that this goes from before um, before he was drafted by the Bills.
1: Right. Uh,
2: it has nothing to, to do with who drafted him. His, uh, our Q-based projection system, right, which we use to project quarterbacks, gives him a negative projection. Uh, the last time a negative Q-based passer was chosen in the first round, I think is Mark Sanchez. Here, here's the list of negative QB passers in the first round.
1: Okay, I love this.
2: Besides Allen, Mark Sanchez, Josh Freeman, Kyle Bowler, Rex Grossman, J.P. Lawsman, Patrick Ramsey.
1: Wow, I'm surprised uh, Manuel. I thought you were going to say Manuel. If I would have guessed there was two Bills, I would have said Manuel. And, um...
2: Manuel was above zero.
1: Above zero, okay. Uh,
2: Jake, Lo- Jake Locker, who's the player that I've most compared Josh Allen to, was above zero. Had a better projection.
1: Wow, that's super You're interesting. We're talking about
2: a guy who completed 56% of his passes at Wyoming.
1: Wyoming, yeah. He hasn't done bad here though so far. I've I've heard I mean he's only working third team, so he hasn't moved up from that yet, but it's eh.
2: true. He has yet to hit the medium members with most of his passes. So he's better than Christian <laughs> <laughs> Allen,
1: Ah, let me ask you: How you had these guys ranked? Was Darnold number one? Was Sanchez, or excuse me, was Bob Mayfield number one? How'd you have the the rookie class? Kind of, we know Allen was not this year. We have Mayfield had
2: one of the best projections we've ever done. Okay. Look, any projection that's based on college performance is going to have Mayfield way ahead.
1: Yeah, he was, he was phenomenal. The best college quarterback yeah. of all time, right? Yeah.
2: When it comes to passing, not running, but when it comes to passing, he was the best college quarterback who's ever left as far as the last two seasons. He had the best numbers. Um, Lamar Jackson was second. Darnold and Rosen fall back a little bit because of a lack of experience. It really wants you to have at least three years as a starter to really like you in our projection system. And Rosen only had two and a half, and Darnold only had two. And then it just hates hates Josh Allen with the fury of a thousand suns. I love it.
1: How far back does something like this go? Do you have, like, do you have, like do you have like Brady Back to or
2: 98 I think? So what no, because we only do only... the top 100 picks.
1: Okay, so we only so...
2: do the top 100 picks. After that it's just too random to try to project.
1: So what was Manning? Peyton.
2: Manning Manning's in the top 10 of all
1: time. Top 10 what about Breeze?
2: Uh he's not. Rivers is. Okay. Carson Palmer is. I believe McNabb is. Uh Mariota is. Uh I think Roethlisberger is.
1: That's really fun. How far back does your DVOA go now? I think last time we talked, you were at like 87 or something like that.
2: We go back to 86. I've gotten most of 84 and 85. We have to figure out what to do about the one or two games we don't have from 84 and 85 before we start breaking down 84 and 85. And then I have to find the time to actually break it down.
1: <laughs> That's so... My hope
2: is that by next offseason, we're going to have 84 and 85 because I really want to have the 84-49ers. And the '84 Dolphins offense and the '85 Bears; those are really important teams to have for all-time, you know, rate, ratings. Uh,
1: you can tell me if this is private, but do NFL teams reach out for this stuff?
2: Yeah, a little bit. Although I think that they read it on their own more than they actually reach out to us.
1: Okay, because like you look at but the we'll, history the Browns have had with their first rounders, and I feel like maybe they should hire you.
2: Well, they've hi- they they did. <laughs> right, right. Um, they not are not me. <laughs> Right. They hired somebody off of my staff, right? I mean, we don't make a big deal out of it, but they hired Andrew Healy, who's one of my writers, but also an economics professor, and he works in their analytics department. They, The analytics department stuck around when they uh, fired Sasha. Dorsey is still using that analytics department. Dave Podesta is still there. And I'm sure that they had a say in the Baker Mayfield drafting. Not the only say. Right. Look, I think it helps that Baker Mayfield has swag, man. Sure does. You know, the stuff they say about him as a leader of men, all that subjective quarterback leadership stuff that we can't measure, it doesn't mean that that stuff doesn't matter just because we can't measure it. We just don't try to measure things we can't measure. But my God, does he have it? Mm -hmm. I mean, he absolutely has it. You add that on to his statistical projection, and I think it's a no-brainer that he was the number one pick. He's not... A guy that, I mean, the questions were about something that happened with the cops like three years ago, but people get angry at him for what, like celebrating wins too much? Like, oh my God, the guy likes to win. Call the police. I mean, you know, of course he likes to win. I like to win. You like to win. Yeah. Winners like to win.
1: And, and when so, he's on I, your team. I love
2: the Mayfield pick.
1: And when he's on your team and he runs out to, to midfield and plants that flag, it's like, hell like, yeah. Yeah, right. But if he's yeah. if you're an Ohio State fan, it's like you know, you're George Teague running out to knock throw Owens and right? You know what I mean? It's like depends what
2: He's one of those guys where you really hate his his thing unless he's on your team. Phillip Rivers is
1: like that. Exactly. oh yes, good example. Let me ask you one more thing about the projections in that. With all the rookie quarterbacks this year, like let's just take Baltimore for example. When you figure them out at eight point four. How does it take in the Flacco versus Jackson? We're projecting them with Flacco. As Flacco a straight out, okay. Yeah, we're projecting them with Flacco as a starter. The one team where we weren't
2: sure, because the, the projection for all the Buffalo quarterbacks is so similarly bad that it didn't really matter. Okay. And the same with like Darnold versus McCown. Um, Cleveland would actually probably be projected a little worse with Mayfield as the full-time starter just because he's still a rookie even though we love him so much. Um, uh, the one we thought about was Indianapolis was that should we produce some of the projections with Brissett as the starter, because there's still questions about Andrew Luck. But over the last couple of weeks, the the questions about Andrew Luck seem to have sort of moved more and more, uh, towards he's going to play and he's going to be fine. So I feel pretty good about doing Indianapolis with Andrew Luck as the quarterback. And of course, our Indianapolis projection is shockingly high. Because with him at the quarterback, they likely go back to being an above-average offense. And they're an above-average special teams with an easy schedule.
1: Cool, very cool. I, uh, just before we get too ahead of it, I want to mention something. You mentioned how Cleveland hired one of your writers. You always hear in football about like the Bill Belichick coaching tree, you know, or um, Parcells, and like Belichick and Peyton and all the guys around that. I would love to see the Aaron Schatz uh, uh, tree. You know, a tenure and like all the guys who have written for this publication and where they've gone. I'm sure yeah, it's got, phenomenal. It's amazing. It's one of the great things about this book, which is why there's
2: guys you don't even know, like David Gardner at Bleacher Report.
1: So cool. So Michael, cool.
2: Michael David Smith from Pro Football Talk was one of my early writers. Um, Tanyer, of course. Doug Farrar, Bill Barnwell.
1: No, uh, yeah, a lot of folks a have gone on
2: from Football Outsiders to great things.
1: Congratulations on that. That's amazing. You got an amazing nose for yeah, football. I, 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 I
2: got lucky when Bill Barnwell answered an ad to be in my rotisserie baseball league 15 years ago.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's
2: how I met him. That's amazing. That's how I met him. And then he became an intern and then he became my first full-time hire.
1: So cool. And he's, I mean, he's killed it with Simmons and now he's with ESPN and just just doing great. I want to follow up on something we've talked about the last couple of years. Uh, a couple years ago, we talked about the wide receiver class that had Brandon Cooks and Sammy Watkins and, yeah, um, and, and you, I think you even said it was like the best wide receiver class in history of your projections. That or 96. Yep. And then we talked last year about the running back class that came in with all the names Fournette and Hunt and Cook and Kamara, maybe it was a little off the radar initially, but all those guys. And you had said were you know, it was a similar class, um. Uh, for running backs as to to wide receivers that that 2014 class, I think, was. Um, How did the running backs end up doing last year based on your projections is one question. And the second question is, is there a position group coming in this year that stacks up favorably to either of those classes?
2: Well, of course, the funny thing is the running back who had the best year last year uh, we thought was going to be a bust. And that's Alvin Kamara because – the projection system takes into account how much a guy plays compared to his teammates. And Kamara was just completely underused at Tennessee. Um, And so, you know, you make assumptions about his abilities based on that, but it turns out the Tennessee coaches were just dumb. But I mean, I think the running back class did well, Uh, you know, Mixon wasn't spectacular Fournette, despite his big numbers was not spectacular. Dalvin cook. We only got what, three or four games out of. Right. You know, let's see what they do. They, they certainly did not play as well as the wide receiver that wide receiver class did in its rookie year. But let's see how they do over um, let's see how they do over a couple of years before we decide whether they really live up to their projections or not. I'll tell you what's really good from last year is the safety class. We don't do projections on safeties, right? We don't have a safety projection system. But man, oh man, when you look at last year's safeties, the two guys the Jets took. Uh, Malik Hooker, John Johnson was awesome for the Rams. Josh Jones for the Packers. That is an awesome safety class.
1: Marcus Williams.
2: Marcus Williams, absolutely.
1: Yeah. Well.
2: And um, uh, the other guy I would mention is, um, sorry, Eddie Jackson from the Bears is, is, is got a lot of talent. Not as much as a, as a rookie as some of these other guys, but uh, but there's there's there's. There's a lot that safety class was. I think that's the position that most stands out from last year's uh, draft.
1: What about coming in this year? Anything excite you? Nothing stands out to me right away.
2: The quarterbacks were not like legendary. The running backs were not legendary. The wide receivers weren't. Obviously, they didn't go till later in the draft. Um, I think interior offensive line was the strength of the draft this year we'll see how that goes, right? There's Quentin Nelson and will Hernandez. And then the centers that went in the middle of the first round Ragnow and price. And if Isaiah Wynn becomes a guard, then he counts as mm-hmm. part of that class also. And, um, James Daniels in Chicago is going to start. And I think if any position, uh, if any position stands out from this year's draft, it's interior offensive line. I know that's not that exciting, <laughs> <laughs> but it is the position that really stands
1: out. Let me ask you this, in terms of draft classes, where does that Saints class last year rank cuz that's something you you study or look at with the class as a whole?
2: Sorry, which where does what? Class, uh, the Saints uh,
1: rank? draft, the Saints rookies last year, the draft oh, it's class. One of the
2: greatest draft class through, through We don't have any kind of like Okay, it's not something you rank. Ranking, no. but it's one of the greatest rookie years ever from a draft class. Yeah. Right? I mean, they've got to have whole careers before you start comparing them to the 1974 Steelers draft class that has four Hall of Famers in it.
1: True. True. Or even the 2006 Saints draft class was...
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't have numbers in front of me. We've got a thing we do for USA Today's draft magazine where we add up the approximate value of a draft class compared to what you would have expected from those picks, and the Saints just blew everyone away. I don't know if it's the highest we've ever measured, but that Saints class was phenomenal. And it's not even the guys... It's not even just the two guys who won Rookie of the Year. It's uh Ramchick, Right. and Marcus Williams and uh we also we I mean guys who have promise for the future who weren't necessarily gangbusters last year, but Trey Hendrickson and Anzalone. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean when I when I think of Saints draft classes, I mean I never thought they could outdo two thousand six. You know, and maybe they did. We'll see. Um let me ask you this, so we've talked about draft, we've talked about incoming players. We've talked about the projections a little mm-hmm. bit. Atlanta surprised me a little bit. Atlanta and Carolina, you know what cause I'm an NFC South guy, and I was so pleased with the way the Saints chuck out. And I look at it as such a difficult division, and I expected Atlanta and Carolina to be a little closer. To us, than they were. What do you think the projections don't love about those teams?
2: With Atlanta, it, it, here's the thing about Atlanta: is we keep waiting for that defense to live up to its talent, but so far the whole just is not equal to the sum of its parts. Okay. I mean, they have the number nine overall projection. They have the number six offensive projection. They also have the second hardest schedule. So, if they're going to do something with that, they need that defense to be above average. And this is two years now that despite all the talent on that defense, over the course of the entire year, they have been a below-average defense. And with Carolina, it's the opposite. We're expecting their defense to be really good, but the offense to be below average. And they have the hardest projected schedule in the league.
1: Yeah, that's fair. That, that linebacker on Atlanta, oh my God, is he a saint killer. Um, Jones, is it Jones from LSU?
2: Yeah, I know. Look, you want to talk about individual players. Yeah, that's a player. You talk about individual players, and we're like, oh, my God, the Falcons have, you know, Deion Jones, and then they've got Vic Beasley and Tack McKinley to brush the passer, and they've got Grady Jarrett, and then they've got Alfred and in the secondary, and they've got good safeties, and it all sounds good. Why does it keep... Leading to a below average defense. The Atlanta Falcons have not ranked higher than 22nd in defensive DBOA for the last five years. Right? Last right. year was supposed to be the big step forward, and they stepped forward all the way from 26th to 22nd.
1: <laughs> not the jump they were hoping for, for sure.
2: No, the, 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 the individual players all seem so talented, and the coach seems so talented. Why isn't it not? But, you know, it's not leading. It's not adding together. And you can't expect that it's suddenly going to add together. Look, if it did, it's a story that's easy to tell. Uh, the Atlanta defense story, like the Chicago Bears turn everything around with Matt Nagy story, is a story that makes a lot of sense. It's just not a high-probability story. But if it happens, it will make sense. If Buffalo suddenly goes 10-6, and six, that doesn't, you know, we're all going to be like, how? No one could have seen that coming, right? Right. If the Atlanta defense, if the Atlanta defense suddenly plays well, we all saw that coming. We all can understand how it happened, but it's not likely to happen.
1: How unlikely was Philadelphia's run last year in terms of your statistical data?
2: How how how? What was it? Unlikely. It was fairly unlikely. They were properly, if you if you account for the the drop from a starter to a backup quarterback, they were properly underdogs. Okay. Um, I think we had them favored in the Atlanta game. I think we had them favored over Atlanta when they were underdogs in Vegas, but they were properly underdogs to Minnesota and they were properly underdogs uh, in the Super Bowl.
1: Would they have been underdogs to the saints? I'm sorry to cut you. The saints win that Minnesota miracle. Would they be underdogs there? That's not something you remember. Yeah, they would have been underdogs there. Okay.
2: Yeah, sure, even in Philly. We, accounting for the backup quarterback. And remember, Foles in the last three games of the regular season was awful.
1: Yeah, I remember the Oakland game it was unwatchable.
2: Terrible. Yeah. There was no there was nothing, nothing to suggest that he was suddenly gonna play the way that he played in the playoffs. If you add the playoffs and the regular season together, you end up with a guy who's a little bit below Carson Wentz, about the amount that you would expect from a backup quarterback. In the regular season, it looked like he was so immensely worse than Wentz that they were screwed. And in the, reg- in the playoffs, he played as well as Wentz could have played. But when you put the two together, what you end up with is a backup quarterback in a good system, which is what Foles essentially was, a good, a good backup quarterback in a good system, but a backup nonetheless. So if you account for the fact that they were starting a backup, you know it was unlikely that Philadelphia would go on a run Where they beat, I mean, you look at their regular season record, and they were, I mean, I think they were something like fourth or fifth in DVOA. They were like second or third before Wentz got hurt. But then they beat teams that were, um, I mean, the Saints were high, uh, not the Saints, the Vikings were higher than them, and the Patriots were higher than them. So it was unlikely.
1: As a fan, when Brady walks onto the field right before that sack fumble, you had to be sitting there thinking, all right, this is exactly what you want if you're a Patriots fan, right? Uh,
2: it's not exactly what you want. What you wanted was for, them to have to, was for them to punt on fourth and one on the previous drive when the Patriots had the lead. I'll be honest, my thought was, okay, they're going to come back and score this, but can they get the two-point conversion? Right? Right. Like, it's really playing with fire that you need the two-point conversion. I did not expect a sack fumble. I expected the Patriots to march down the field and score the touchdown. So did I. But then the two-point conversion is, what, like a 50-50 shot? I mean, I guess if you consider how good the Patriots' offense is, maybe it's a 60-40 shot, but still. Um, It reminds me— It was a a close game. Nobody should be—the Patriots should not be embarrassed by what happened in that game but they— that they lost that game, right? It was a close game. They yeah, lost it was a
1: great Yeah, it reminds me of 44 a little bit, what you're talking about, when Shockey scored his touchdown to put the Saints up late in the fourth, and then it's like, okay, we got to get this two-pointer because otherwise Manning's going to march down there and put him ahead. You know, like that was in my mind, like, got to get this, and then was that crazy thing with Lance Moore. Right, and, and we're kick. all
2: used to referring to eight points as a one-score game, and any eight points is a one-score game, but it's a different kind of one-score game. Those two-point conversions are not automatic. The fact that the Patriots got those two-point conversions to make the comeback in Super Bowl 51 is pretty remarkable. It's crazy. And I wasn't exactly counting on it happening again last year, even if they had made it down the field for the touchdown. I guess I would kind of feel like, can they make it down the field here, and then if they miss the two, is there enough time to, to, get back. to kick it back and right. still get the ball back to go for a field goal?
1: Easily my second favorite Super Bowl. <laughs> 44 and that one. I just remember... The whole day, being in such depression, being like, I can't believe Stuart Falcons won the Super Bowl. And, oh, man, I could have Arthur Blank standing there on the sideline, like, oh, oh, too good, too good.
2: All right. I know. it's, it's The only <laughs> people who were rooting for the Patriots in that game, other than Patriots fans, were, were fans of the Saints and Bucks and, and, and Panthers. Right. Mostly it, Saints.
1: <laughs> oh, man, so good. So good. You know, because, like, the Saints and the Falcons, you know, have a rivalry, but it's really intensified the last couple of years. Like, we put up a statue in Championship Square to honor Steve Gleason blocking the punt, and the Falcons refused to yep. let us put their logo on it. So the punter is just some guy with a blank helmet. And um, oh. <laughs> and then you know, then there was like the radio guys in Atlanta who were making fun of them. I got Gleason on a show once, and ah, fun. You yeah, know. I, I
2: I was in New Orleans last year. I went for the first time. Down in, in uh, December, and I noticed a lot of. Uh, I didn't think I would ever see Atlanta 28, New England three flags outside of New England, <laughs> yeah. and there were some in New Orleans.
1: And you know, what's even better, Aaron, is we chipped in. I paid money to put a billboard up that said it was a black billboard. Said 28 to three, where you everyone who walked into the Atlanta Stadium last year had to walk by it. <laughs>
2: yeah it's the best rivalry in the nfc south so from we what i
1: understand we paid i'm like i told my wife i'm like listen i gotta use our paypal 25 bucks she's like for what and i'm like well uh we're putting up this billboard in atlanta <laughs> and she's like what but <laughs> 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 somehow i'm still married all right aaron shots one of the nicest guys in the business he does this every year i want to make sure we take time plugging everything so i got a lot and you tell me what i miss okay it is the football outsiders are Outsiders Almanac, 2018. It's one of the best football preview. It's the best football preview magazine in the world. And you can get it on their website, or you can also get it on Amazon. It comes in PDF format, or you can get a bounded book. Uh, also, something really cool, which I think this is the first year, maybe the second, is if you're a fantasy guy, uh, Matthew Barry put together a thing, which I think is called Rotopass, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong on this. Yeah, it's called, yeah Rotopass. And Football Outsiders is now a part of that. So if you want to join the Football Outsiders website for all the stuff, you can get it not only on Football Outsiders website, but you can also get it as part of Roto Pass, which is a great deal. Um, I take advantage of that every year, and I'm super stoked that Football Outsiders is a part of that. Uh, you can also—it's right.
2: a selection of our premium material, not the full premium subscription, but a selection of premium material including some of the charting material and a DVOA versus types of receivers that can help you plan your DFS rosters.
1: Right. So I, I assume it's the material that would be most most specific to, to fantasy. Yep. Yep. Excellent. You can also follow Aaron on Twitter. Uh, help me out with the handle there. It's a little tricky. Something with an underscore. Oh, yeah. Underscore. I
2: thought about changing it uh, to my first name instead of my second name, but then I would lose my uh, – My checkmark. F-O underscore A-Shot. A-S-C-H-A-T-Z.
1: It's just – it's fantastic. It's the best thing. I look forward to reading it every year. I look forward to goofing around with Aaron and and touching – I mean, we talked about less than 1%. I mean, the Bills win the Super Bowl in more of the million projections than we talked about what's in this book. So (laughs) – That's how little we got 0.1% to... 0.1%
2: of the time, baby. Right.
1: And so, so like, that's how much is in here, okay? The Bills win the Super Bowl more in the projections than that. Aaron, I can't thank you enough. You're such a great guy. Thanks for doing this. Thanks again for a copy of the book, and I can't wait till next August.
2: Hey, thanks for having me on. I'm going to mention one other thing. Sure, yeah. Anything else you there, want to plug? The, uh, the Kubiak preseason fantasy projections. That's the same fantasy projections that are in the book, but... They're updated throughout the preseason in a spreadsheet that you can customize to your league's rules and includes individual defensive players in case you're in, case you're in an IDP league. And that also costs $20 for unlimited downloads uh, throughout the preseason as I updated it as guys get injured and go up and down draft charts, uh, depth charts. So that's the Kubiak preseason fantasy football projections. And you can get both the book and the Kubiak projections as part of a package for just $35
1: one fantasy football magazine which they write in like april and never update is 10 bucks at the grocery store one of those so for double that you can have stuff that's updated to the second uh, from aaron and his team so makes a lot of sense to me i use it for my preparation every year as well thank you aaron so much i appreciate it thanks for having me on So could have use a few pounds tight pants points hollering down. she was a black hat beauty with big dark eyes
0: and points all her own sudden way up high
1: alright I want to thank Aaron Shots from Football Outsiders for being on the podcast today I always love talking to Aaron that's a spot I look forward to every single year Saints fourth on the projections. One million simulations, the Saints uh, win the most games in the league. Uh, Well, they're fourth on average in most wins in the league. Anyway, book club update. I want to talk about three books today uh, that we are going to be focusing on in the near future. First of all, I want to mention Football for a Buck, Uh, the USFL book by Jeff Perlman. Uh, the full title is Football for a Buck, the Crazy Rise and Crazier Demise of the USFL. Uh, it comes out September 11, 2018. Uh, Jeff was on last week, and he made two announcements. Well, one announcement was obvious. Jeff's going to be on this show sometime in September to talk about Football for a Buck. We're going to have a copy of Football for a Buck to give away. And when Jeff comes on the program that day, He is going to announce exclusively what the topic of his next book uh, is going to be. Uh, So I am very much looking forward to that. Football for a Buck is available for order, pre-order on Amazon. uh, Right now, $28 for the hardcover. Um, So definitely lock yourself in. Pre-order that so that uh, we can make sure Jeff has his sixth uh, New York Times bestseller. He's five out of eight. I'd love for him to be six out of nine. Uh, and we're going to do everything. I'm going to do everything I can to help promote this book uh, because I know how much it means to Jeff, what a passion project it is. Uh, So football for a buck, the crazy rise and crazier demise of the USFL. Another book I mentioned last week for the first time is a book called The Last Days of Letterman uh, by a guy named Scott Ryan. Scott is someone I reached out to on Twitter uh, when I realized that this book existed and I said, Ryan, I would love to to help you promote this book, and he was all about it. Uh it comes out uh in the fall as well. I don't have an exact release date here, but it comes out in the fall as well. And I talked to Ryan this week and I said, Hey Ryan, you know, just so you know, I or excuse me, Scott. His name is Scott Ryan. Two first names that trip you up a little bit there sometimes. I reached out to Scott. And I said, "Hey, Scott, you know, I, I, I mentioned the the book on the podcast for the first time, and I got uh, some feedback from people really looking forward to it." And he said, "Yeah, you know, the book's going to printing, you know, any day now, uh, and I'll get a couple copies out to you." So I should have a copy of the Last Days of Letterman uh, to give away as well. If you go to lastdaysofletterman.com, uh, you can pre order you can pre order this book book as well. Uh, the third book I want to mention. Uh the, the the mother of the sportscasters, uh Miss Jane Levy. 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 Levy Levy. Levy. I know it's Levy. Jane Levy, the mother of the Sportscasters, has a new book out called The Big Fella, Babe Ruth and the World He Created. And Jane has talked about this book uh several times on this podcast and how hard she's working on it. And uh finally its release is imminent. Uh it comes out in October. October sixteenth, two thousand eighteen, to be exact, and it's already available for pre-order on Amazon. And I've reached out to Jane and expressed my enthusiasm for Big Fella. I can't wait. Uh, We one of the very first books we ever spoke with about, you know, with an author on this show uh, was her last book, her Mickey Mantle book, The Last Boy. And uh, since Jane came on and talked about The Last Boy, she's been a part of this podcast, someone I I care so, so deeply about, um, as a guest and I love every time she's on, I just love, I feel like she's an all time great. She's a hall of famer and she makes this show better by her presence and it's so appreciated and I can't wait to promote this book with her, the big fella, Babe Ruth and the world he created. So those are the books I wanted to mention real quickly in the book club update right now. It's August. It's summer. We're not really reading anything right now. Um, People are busy. People are on the beach. We'll get more into it in the fall. But I wanted to mention these things in terms of pre-orders and to prepare for them. We should have a copy of all three of these books to give away. Um, I'm not positive about Big Fella, but I'm sure it'll work out. Uh, But I am positive about The Last Days of Letterman and Football for a Buck. All right, we are going to take a break and do one of my favorite things to do every year, and that's Talk Saints Football with Adam. Oh, man, I'm slumping today. I'm hurting today. Uh, (laughs) Up too late doing Adam's division podcasting uh, last night. Uh, We're going to take a break, and we're going to come back with Matt Yoder from Awful Announcing. (laughs) Our next guest is the biggest Saints fan in Columbus, and he writes for Awful Announcing and the Comeback, and he has come back again to speak about Saints football with me. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Matt Yoder. What's up, Matt? How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. Glad to be back with you for the annual Saints preview edition. Have you recovered?
0: You know, I I really don't know what you're talking about. I I (laughs) thought we had a great road win in the playoffs at Minnesota. (laughs) Went into Philadelphia for the NFC Championship against the Eagles. Gave it our all, but that's the eventual Super Bowl champion. Just uh, too tough to match up with there. Is that what you're talking about?
1: You know, it's funny because everything you read every day is how Marcus Williams is like the star of the camp so far.
0: (laughs) And which is great for him, great. which I love hearing that because a play like that and an event like that, as traumatic as it was for fans, I mean, imagine what it did to him. And I feel like there's only two ways you react to that. Either you go to the dustbin of history or you turn around and use it as motivation to become an all-pro and a pro bowler. So uh, hopefully we're seeing the latter with him.
1: Now, I was telling somebody that I was like, you know, Bell accounts. he's the star of the camp. And they're like, well, you know, that's that's so great that he's not going to let that one play define him. And it's so great he's bouncing back. And I was just like, yeah, it's great for him. But I still can't – like what, I, I need to speak with him and say like what have you done because I still have not bounced back. Like I am not yeah. – I'm not ready. I'm just not ready. Yet. I really, I'm real. i really not. When you, Like I was telling someone else this. Since we won the Super Bowl, we have lost three playoff games with names. Right, like there's you. Most playoff games don't get a name, and, and we've lost three of them: the Catch Three, the Beastquake game, and whatever they call this one. Is it Minneapolis or Minnesota Miracle? Yeah, the
0: Minneapolis Miracle or Minnesota Miracle, right. or something like that. Whatever they. Yeah, picked. that that is pretty bad, and I feel like that is life of the Saints fan. Though, like we had our title, which is the one title I prayed every night for in my lifetime. And I feel like ever since that, it's just been a giant tease that said, you got your one, you better have enjoyed it. Because we're right back to kind of where we were. Well, maybe not right back, because I think at least the Saints are more competitive now than they used to be. Um, But we're used to heartbreaking, soul-crushing, once-in-a-lifetime losses. I mean, hopefully everyone listening, Saints or not, remembers John Carney and the extra point against Jacksonville oh, God. after the the miracle Hail Mary play. I, mean, I remember growing up uh, when the Saints had never won a playoff game, yep. and they're blown fourth quarter leads against the Falcons and the Eagles at home. Um, when you had that stout Dome Patrol defense, when you had you know Bobby A. and Eric Martin and you know, all those great guys, and to think that team never won a playoff game. So uh, we've gone kind of used to it. Over the years, and part of me kind of took that loss in stride, and I know that's insane to think, because they were so far out of that game, it seemed like, for so long. And for them to come back and just be in a position to win that game, I thought meant something. But, yeah, seeing the way it ended is one of those emotional scars that you'll probably carry to your grave as a sports fan.
1: Well, it's the second time that Breeze won a playoff game twice. Right? I mean, he won that San Francisco game twice, and the defense couldn't hold it. And then he won that Minnesota game twice, and both times they couldn't hold it. And, you know. And I actually contend that if Marcus Williams even
0: pushes him out of bounds, I still think there's a second on the clock for Minnesota
1: to kick a game winning field goal. So I think maybe that's just one of my coping mechanisms, too. But there also is the option of just stopping behind him, and then just putting your arms around him. Well, right, didn't you turn out that way because he's he's jumping up <laughs> in the air, his feet at the ground, and you wrap him up. And by the time he fights with you, and eventually he goes out of bounds, whatever. Anyway, all right. So this <laughs> this is why I'm nervous because. The first time we did this, we were talking about the best team in Saints history in August, right? That That's what the team was. They were
0: – Was that the year I put Brandon Cooks in the Hall of Fame because he's just uh, two teams down the road
1: from that? <laughs> everything about that team was perfect. They're like the best team in preseason Saints history, and we were super cocky. And we literally spent 45 minutes talking about, like, is it going to be 14-2? and Is it going to be 13-3? and You know, how many points are we going to win the NFC Championship game by? And then ultimately, that was my most hated Saints team of all time. I hated them. I hated everything about them except for Drew Brees, pretty much. They were awful. Watching the games was awful. The way they lost the games. Like, they got blown out by, like, every single nfc east team like just pummeled by the redskins and just it was just awful um but then the next couple years you know so then we're kind of back on our heels and we're like well we like this we like this and maybe that and then last year i was very optimistic i don't remember how optimistic you were but i remember being really really optimistic about the team last year there's something about the team before it and the way they had built it up and you know i love the Lattimore pick you know, I always tell my brother who was watching the draft with me, I said, you remember all those fist pumps I was doing when we picked Lattimore? If I knew he was this good, they would have been backflips. You know, and um, and so now I feel like today that I'm two, 2014 guy. Like, I just feel like, like, how can this team not be great? So I'm nervous.
0: Yeah, we've kind of gone back full circle. I think here's here. I I, I would be interested to go back and listen to the last year to see exactly how optimistic we were because I don't think even the most optimistic of Saints fans would have seen what happened last year coming, uh, specifically the defense. And of course, you know, being a Columbus guy, I, mean, I was thrilled to see the Latimore pick because I knew how good he would be if he was healthy. And what he could mean to the Saints defense because Lord only knows the last time we had a shutdown cornerback. Ever? But I don't Fresh think mark? you could have ever expected. Yeah, maybe that's it. <laughs> I don't think you ever expected Alvin Kamara nope. to do what he did. Brian um, Ramchick to step in and basically play every snap and uh, be a, what looks to be a cornerstone franchise tackle for this team. Uh, Marcus Williams to play as good as he did throughout the course of the season, the defense to just be so totally transformed. I mean, if you would have told us that in August last year, that this season is going to be so good, create so many big plays that they're, they're going to create this meme of, you know, mugging for these uh, pictures every, after every turnover, after every big play, and it's going to be this great sensation.
1: You're going to have
0: the defense actually outplay the offense for a lot of stretches in some games. You'd think you'd absolutely be insane. So I don't think I could have ever seen that coming. So heading into this season, we never had, I don't think at least, even after the Super Bowl season, a team where coming into this season, you knew, you knew this defense is going to get the job done. They're young. They're hungry. They have, I think, more talent than any other Saints defense that this franchise has ever had with Drew Brees and Sean Payton. So – To me, some of that optimism is justified. The only thing that may tamper it a little bit, and I think what brings me back to earth, is the competition in the NFC. Because I can't remember another year where the NFC, especially at the top, looked so strong. When you have the Eagles returning, when you have Minnesota now, even with a quarterback change coming back, when you have, my gosh, all of the pieces that the Rams have added, and then in the Saints' own division, you know how tough Carolina is going to be. You know how tough Atlanta's going to be. So even just getting through this division in the NFC South is going to be a task and going to be a tall challenge for the Saints, let alone what else awaits in the conference. And let alone if they somehow get through the NFC, then there's just the New England Patriots that will probably be waiting on the other
1: side. Alright, two things to respond to that. One, if you do listen back to last year's and I remember this specifically, this is how smart we are. Alright. We said if they can make it to two and two because remember they had that really tough start and then there was the yep, trip to right. England and we said if they can find a way to two and two, look out, this can be a contending team. We said that. If it's on the tape. I promise anyone listening to this so I know it sounds pompous for me to say that now, but it's on the tape. We said that. So that's where we were last August. We said if they can find a way to 2-2, two and two, look out. This can be a really good team, a team that can contend. And then the other thing about what you said is seven of the top nine teams on Football Outsiders uh, preview this year are NFC teams. It's the Patriots and the Steelers and then seven NFC teams.
0: It's almost like the Western Conference and the Eastern Conference in the NBA. And by the Some way, of those nine teams,
1: of the seven of nine, neither of them are Carolina or Atlanta. So, <laughs> so it's like all those teams plus Carolina and Atlanta, and it's just like wow. And the schedule's yeah, really I mean, I didn't difficult. Even
0: Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers, or, or Dallas with Dak Prescott and Zeke Elliott. You know, maybe they make a comeback this year uh, there's just so many possible teams and possible outcomes in the nfc that it, it's going to be a heck of a ride through the regular season but i think for whoever's going to come out of the nfc this year is definitely going to earn it right. um i don't think it's going to be a fluke or anything like that it's it's going to be tough and i i definitely as an nfc south fan as a guy who's watched this division for so many years i think Gosh, it's been a few weeks since I've seen this stat, but uh, I think I remember seeing something like since 2003 or 2001, going back 10, 13, 15 years, I think the top three teams, the Saints, the Falcons, and the Panthers, are only separated by something like three games over that time. The Saints have something like a one-game advantage. So this division has been so even for so many years. It is so tough to repeat that I definitely wouldn't count out Carolina or Atlanta. Tampa Bay with Janus Winston, I guess they've got their own issues going on, but uh, to me, it should be as much of a dogfight as it ever has been. And and in that division to come out on top.
1: And in that stretch that you talk about, I think only Carolina has repeated as champions that one time.
0: Yeah, well, it shows you just just how tough and how well balanced it's been. Right. Imagine being a Buffalo Bills fan or a Miami Dolphins fan when you've gone for fifteen years now and success has been so rare and yet in this division it just is so incredibly well balanced that you walk into any year and really any team can win, or at least like this year, you could make an argument for three out of the four teams. To find success. And I would almost go beyond that. I mean, think of of any sport, really, of the four major professional North American sports. I don't know if a division like the NFL comes to my mind off the top of my head where it's been so competitive. Um, the one for that so comes to mind years. for me. That's the thing that really stands out.
1: I'm sorry. The one that comes to mind for me maybe is the AL East because you have the Red Sox and the Yankees and the Rays have been good for almost a decade now. And even the Orioles have played in an AFC or, um, excuse me, a uh, AL uh, championship game in the last 10 years as well. So maybe that, maybe you throw that out, you know, just something that comes to mind. Not sure not sure if it's as competitive because I'm just spitballing off the top of my head. But um, yeah. that's one that comes to mind. You mentioned it, so we got to go back and talk about it real quick. Dude, when you're a Saints fan that's grown up in Buffalo, New York. Like, you cannot thank your team more <laughs> for the way they've played <laughs> in this city since 1989 when they came here the first time. Like, look – like, let's – okay, let's talk about this real quick. So I've been to every Saints game since I, – I became a fan in 1987. And they've been here – the first time they came here was 1989. John Fourcade won the game in a snowstorm in Buffalo in December, okay? 1-0. and All right. Then they don't come back until opening day of 2001 the week before September 11th okay they're losing 7 to 6 at halftime they come out albert cono has like his only highlight as a saint scoring a touchdown ricky williams gets touchdown they pull away they win that game okay 2 and 0 by the way it was like 190 degrees i think there's a record in buffalo for heat that day Was
0: Albert Connell, was that the guy that stole stuff from his teammates Yes, Deuce
1: McAllister's wallet, yep. (laughs)
0: That's been a a while since I've heard that name. Yep, exactly. I knew that was somewhere in my memory.
1: He's known for two things as a saint, stealing money from Deuce McAllister and scoring a big touchdown on opening day in 2001. (laughs) Okay, so then the next time they come is the Super Bowl season. You know, they come undefeated. They break Terrell Owens' uh, streak for catches in a game. And they kind of win this kind of boring, plotting game. Pierre Thomas had two second half um, touchdowns. Just, you know, an easy, whatever, boring game. Okay. So now they come this year. Now, I have two brothers, Matt. And God bless them both. They are Bills fans who are incredibly supportive of my love of the Saints. When Tracy Porter intercepted Peyton Manning, my brother Greg was standing right next to me, you know, to catch me. Uh, and make sure I didn't fall down uh, when I was jumping up. You know, he was right there with me. My whole family has always been incredibly supportive. So my brother, I, my brother Greg, and I, you know, get tickets to go to the game, and um, I almost felt guilty. It was such a beating. I mean, you can you could make an argument. It was the most physically dominating game in the history of the Saints. Do you remember the drive where they literally ran the ball every play down the field until third down and goal, and then they go for a pass, and Drew Brees has nothing, and he scrambles to the right, and he starts running, and Teron Armstead is in front of him, and he gives Brees a path to the end zone where he reaches his left arm out and takes a Bills defender and pushes him from the third yard line through the goalposts. I mean, it was such a domination that we were walking out of the stadium and it was like 48-3, to and, like, I felt bad. Like, I felt guilty.
0: Yeah, it was something like, I think, whoa, they almost had 300 rushing yards in that game, and it was something like 25 consecutive times that they ran the ball in the second half. And to me, that was the game that told you this is a different team.
1: This is a squad. Almost
0: a different yep. franchise, different yep. identity. Because when the Saints had that Super Bowl season, they had a solid top-ten rushing. Attack. They had Pierre Thomas, yep. Reggie Bush, even Mike Bell, who would come in and be that hammer guy in the fourth quarter. But what, not only what the defense did last year, but what the historic output of Kamara and Ingram did last year Let's truly make this a balanced team. And that's what's so fascinating to me, is now coming into this season, who do you stop on this Saints offense? Do you defend Breeze in the passing game? Do you try to load the box and stop Kamara and Ingram? I mean, you have a whole season where you've seen these guys and what they're capable of in the running game. So no longer is this franchise just a one-dimensional, air-it-out Drew Breeze in the shotgun he's going to have to throw for 450 yards and to beat you because can't you know, run the ball in the defense can't help anybody this team suddenly has a lot of different ways that it can win a game and that's something that you have been able to say and i think that's what it has to excite you the most of the team not just for this team, but hopefully it's a long time from now but whenever drew Brees does this, that you hopefully franchise cornerstones and with Kamara, with uh, Armstead, with Ramchick, with some of the young guys on defense, or you'll still be able to have enough of a game and enough of a defense that you can still find some success in the long term.
1: Yeah, and you know, you mentioned about, like, so many ways to win a game. It's like, we talked about that Bills game, and then you look at the Washington game, and it's like, oh, okay, that didn't work, so Breeze is just going to go 15 for 15 in the last three minutes, and we'll beat you that way. Right? Mm-hmm. We'll just crush your soul that way. So, I mean, and here's something I want to bring up to you because I want to get your take on this. And if you think about the last four or five years and the way Sean Payton has addressed the media in regards to the defense, right, It was you, you heard things like, you know, we have to get better at, at getting pressure. You know, we have to find a way to cause turnovers. We have to find a way uh, to not put our team in position you know, to be playing from behind. It was all these kinds of things where now this year what you're hearing from Sean Payton is we're going to find ways to score because he's not worried anymore about those bare necessities on defense. He feels like he's got a defense. So it's like they're in this new spot where they're not focusing on, hey, let's just get a stop. They're focusing on when we get the stop, we already know we're going to make. How can we get the ball and score with it? You know, because people forget, well, maybe they don't. I don't know. I don't. Maybe some people do. But what made the 2009 defense good, because it was only kind of an average defense, but what made it from average to good or maybe great was that they scored all the time. Like all the time they were scoring. So I don't know. What do you think about that? That just seems like a huge shift, in my opinion, in the way I just hear Peyton talking. When he talks about the defense.
0: Yeah, that Super Bowl defense allowed a lot of yards, but they made up for it with the big plays, with the sacks, with the turnovers, with the defensive scores. And it was funny, it was it was like you're in the Twilight Zone last year at St. Sam, because one of the areas that they struggled was in third down, and specifically converting through the passing. And there were times last season where it seemed like now, I know Teddy Ginn had a great year and was a pretty consistent threat, but there were times that it seemed like if you were able to shut down Mike Thomas on the outside and corral Alvin Kamara marking on the running game, it didn't really seem like Drew Brees had many more options in the passing game.
1: Tight end hurt so that last Peters year.
0: On tight end, mm-hmm. You bring it and you try to answer that. Now, that's not going to be a long-term solution given his age, but I think He should at least still give another year for Drew Brees. You you get a guy like Cam Meredith from the Bears who can come in, often injured, yes, but hopefully contribute. Someone in the draft like Traquan Smith who's turning heads at the receiver position. So that's why it's almost interesting to see that Sean Payton is putting pressure on the offense this year to be able to do what they've done in the past, be able to get in. That's where. We've seen a lot of focus throughout the season. I think it's specifically on deepening that receiver group so that Drew Brees does have more options, so that Michael Thomas does have more space on the outside to be able to find success and keep offense moving.
1: Yeah, because you know, you're know you so right about third down. It was so frustrating last year, and to me it was tight end. You know, Kobe Fleener is in my top ten most hated Saints of all time. And it's because for a guy that went to Stanford, man, his football IQ is is obviously not what his real you know, his everyday IQ is because he's got a ten cent football head. I mean the he just couldn't get he just couldn't get the offense. You know, and he just never developed
0: Well and it was really to me a lack of athleticism and being able to make big plays on the field and when you go from Jimmy Graham, who was probably in the top five most athletic tight ends. In NFL history to Kobe Fleener, I think that fans have grown so accustomed to the highlight real plays. Even Ben Watson, when he came in and had a career year of the first go around, yeah, what do you he have? 90 catches highlight role catches, too. Yeah, it, I, I I can't remember the exact number, but it, it was it was a staggering year for him. So hopefully, if it's anywhere near that. It would be fantastic. But um, I think to see some of these new pieces in this offense because I think. What the Saints did through the offseason in free agency was so important because, for once, too, and this shows you how much of a better position they're in as a franchise, so you could go out and get a veteran safety like Coleman, to come in and be a field general and coach up guys like Marcus Williams and Von Bell. You could go out and get Patrick Robinson to come back, who, a lot of Saints fans remember as a bit of a bust in the first round, but he made himself in Philadelphia part of the Super Bowl champion. Right now, re- coming back as a, nickel, as a nickel corner. I mean, that's a great thing. You can make some of these targeted additions on offense. So, I think what the Saints did in the offense was really smart. They, they didn't necessarily go for the home run signing and spent a lot of money on the likes of your Cody Fleener, your Jairus Birds from Buffalo, who at the time I think the Saints made the highest paid in the league looked like that would be a great deal it just turned out to be a bit of a disaster so a bit I haven't waited in free agency <laughs> disaster I was being cut kind of, I suppose <laughs> but I, I kind of like what they did in free agency they they tried to hit singles and doubles because I think they know the core of this roster is so good that they really didn't need to go and make a big split on bringing in and and Sue or Even, you know, there's been rumblings. I know the reported that maybe the Saints could be a dark horse for Des Bryant. I don't know if the Saints really need to go that big because of the excellent core that they have right now.
1: Right. They avoided bringing in the contract that's going to keep them from keeping a guy like Marcus Williams when the time comes. Now,
0: what did surprise me, though, was going to trade the first round next year for Port. At defensive end, I know that's been a trouble spot for this franchise for a number of years. That there's not a franchise defensive end across from Camp Jordan. Jordan has been able to produce in spite of that has been amazing. But given how conservative free agency and how well this team has drafted over the past couple of years, and to me, that's the most important.
1: Being in Ohio,
0: you know, your misery every single day. And I think nothing epitomizes that and explains that as well as their failures in the draft. When you look at, I think it was from, what, 2006 to 2013, uh, some kind of time period like that, where they've had something like 11 or 12, 13 first-round picks and nothing remained on the roster. That's how 0-16 happened. That's how 1-31 happened. And the Saints were 7-9, 7-9, 7-9 because they, they had so many failures in the draft and yet once you in guys like michael alvin Kamara, Marshawn or marcus williams ryan ramchick suddenly it's amazing to see the correlation when you draft well your fortunes as a franchise turn around pretty quickly so to me I at the time that there's going to be more pressure this year than the first round draft pick even some of the quarterbacks because of how well the Saints have drafted, how much they gave up to, you know, how close they are to winning a championship. And if they don't fire that draft pick, that's a lot that you're giving up and risking on one selection.
1: Here's what I do like about it, though, is that Okafor has come back strong, right? So you can almost go to Davenport and say, all we need you to do this year is focus on getting to the quarterback. Like, don't worry about the complexities of the position. When we put you in there, rush the quarterback. Because Ogafer can start and handle the complexities of the position that will usually hold back a rookie. And when we need you, we need you to do the one thing that we know you can do best. And it will give you time to round out your game and mature. And hopefully... He'll develop into the guy because I think what the Saints well obviously what the Saints did is they looked at the league and they said there's two positions that are most valuable in this league right now, and they're quarterback and defensive end. And we see a guy that we think is worth uh is worth an extra one to solidify that position in the future. And they took they took a huge risk, is absolutely a huge risk. Um but I am very grateful to see how well Okafer has come back from his injury because I think he takes a lot of pressure off Davenport and kind of, like I said, puts him in a position where he can focus on the one thing that we know instinctively um, he's going to be able to do at this level. You know what I mean? It's like, you don't have to do it all. You don't have to be camp Jordan, just be a guy who can get, get us nine sacks. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe that's a, Arbitrary number, but you know, just get to the guy. Just get there when we put you out there. Well,
0: better be something around that number for the cost of two first-round picks. So I think anything close to that—that's what you're hoping for. Um, but do you hear me with train. the Okafor
1: thing? Do you like that point, or
0: it, it does? It definitely helps the situation. But then I could see the flip side of the argument, saying, well. You know, If if he is coming back, if you do have an answer there, why are you you mortgaging the the future for that? Because here's the other piece of that. Drew Brees, we would all love it if he played forever. But now you're, you're kind of wondering, okay, when is this guy actually going to become human? When are we going to see the need for a franchise quarterback and a successor? Because it has been put off for so long, for so many years, uh, the same draft to Garrett Grayson in the third round several years ago. I don't even think he threw a regular season pass for the team. He didn't. Now you've got Taysom Hill here who. Who they love. I know. I think that's the kind answer. of the star of the show. Yeah. Because of his special teams player, what have you. But now you're kind of asking whether or not he can beat out Tom Savage for the backup job. And he's 26, 27 years old already. Necessarily, guy that you're looking to hand the baton to. I could be wrong. So now, without a first-round pick next year, you've already given up your chance of drafting one of these guys next year. And I think maybe given the quarterback class, it's not great. Passive, yeah then 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 maybe that's not such a bad thing. But that means you're counting on Drew Brees for another two years.
1: And I'm fine then with that. Then you're getting
0: into what the the 2020 draft. So you're just banking a lot on this quarterback playing now what would be into his 40s and being able to succeed without really that safety net or that long-term plan there. So that's just the only thing that kind of spooks me a little bit just because it's been part of the conversation of the Saints franchise for five, six years now because I guess we're still getting used to the idea of quarterbacks playing into – their early 40s, like Breeze,
1: uh, and
0: like Brady is doing in New England, but it is something that kind of just hangs in the back of your mind and you wonder, okay, we know eventually this is going to have to happen. Eventually we're going to have to let go of our first ballot Hall of Famer who's going to break so many records that we've all cherished and loved as our favorite athlete of all time. Uh, But someday, eventually, you're going to have to plan for the future, and eventually the future is going to come. So when that day finally does happen, it'll be interesting to see where the Saints finally land.
1: You know what? That's totally fair, and all that is really smart. The only thing I'll say to that is I think that Peyton and Loomis, and, and the Jairus Bird contract is an example of that. Peyton and Loomis, is always I think they've always operated, while he's here, we're going to do everything we can to win with him. Because if you look yeah. around... And
0: that's what that move is. That's y- what yes. that trade yep. is. Really?
1: Yep, that's what it is. Because you look around the league and, like, just look at where I live in Buffalo. Jim Kelly retired in, like, 1995. They still have not replaced him. You know, for every time Aaron Rodgers came up off the backside of Brett Favre, there's nine other teams who just could not replace their guy. Right? So I think that, you know, for me, who I – and I know I've told you this on this show, I'm going to be the last guy off of that bus. You know, I'm going to be mm-hmm. the last guy off the Drew Brees bus because he's he's done so much for me. He's made every single dream as a sports fan I've had come true and more. You know, so so yeah. out of respect to him, I'm going to be the last person off that bus. And if Peyton and Loomis are like, you know what, let's give him <laughs> let's give him these two years, let's give him these two years, let's go all in again, and let's make this risky move. I'm cool. You know, i i i I'm I'm, I'm I'm on board with it. I just hope the guy was the right guy. You know, I hope that they, Yeah. I hope that Davenport was the right guy for the move because I do get a little scared because I never, I literally have never seen him play. You know, I don't know anything about the school he came from, the league he played in, you know, but like I told you before, I do hope that, you know, Okafor can play a role where Davenport can almost be like a, like, like a. Secret weapon isn't the right word because everyone's going to know who he is, but you know this this extra gun in the holster that other teams just don't have the luxury of, and that he's just going to be really frustrating for other teams to deal with because they're already trying to deal with Cam Jordan and deal with Okafor, and I mean we are really deep at linebacker. All of a sudden, I mean, just like I don't remember having this many good players on defense since maybe the Don't Patrol era.
0: Yeah, and if there was a missing piece, and that's the the positive thing about how this roster's been constructed, that was one of the few missing pieces left at the end across from Camp Jordan. So I understand filling that with an impact player and trying to fill that hole, because maybe that is one of the missing pieces that puts you over the top on your way to a championship. But if it isn't, you're taking quite the gamble on a rookie, and if it isn't, it's going to set you back in the long run. I think were the Saints to draft at the end in the first round, yeah, of course, that'd be understandable, but to give up a first rounder next year when draft picks are such a commodity in the NFL, you better believe he better be the guy with that kind of weight on him because it's not just a situation where you've given up one pick on him and that you've given up two first round picks on this guy so, so you're a two you're a two um, pick definitely gonna
1: be on you're a two pick guy in that argument because i mean it's really a swap and then you give up one no right like like mike head has been spinning all, all all winter with this i think <laughs> i think i'm a one pick guy I, I like maybe that defines logic it makes me stupid but like they just traded the two pick like they swapped the the one and then they gave up the other one like i get they traded two but they got one back so it's really only a minus one net to me
0: <laughs> i think i've uh i've dealt away too many draft picks on the mad franchise mode and that probably uh, <laughs> screws my head a bit <laughs> all
1: but right maybe
0: s- that's the perspective i'm coming from
1: let's do a couple quick ones and i'll get you out of here oh well, we'll do a couple quick ones we'll do real two minutes on awful announcing i'll get you out of here um, okay. the schedule's difficult. we know that uh, but let me ask let's talk about the division for a second. Does Atlanta or Carolina make you more nervous?
0: That's a great, great question because franchises to me are in such a similar place where you have such established quarterbacks that maybe have taken a step back from leading their teams. At their peak, Um, I guess if I had to pick one, even though uh, we saw Carolina against the Saints in the postseason, I I would go with Atlanta um, just because they're a bit closer to where they were in the Super Bowl. And I could see Matt Ryan and that team really trying to bounce back after what must have been so challenging last year, giving up and blowing that 25-point lead to the Patriots in the Super Bowl, I think maybe you need to allow a year to recover from that. So I can see them really getting it together and bouncing back this season. So I guess if I had to pick between those two teams, uh, I'd be more wary of Atlanta. But really, I think they're so similar that it could even be a coin flip. In all honesty,
1: do you know if Dion Jones has any other passions? Like, is he really into like acting or anything that he might want to just step away?
0: <laughs> if there's one guy from the division, <laughs> I would love the transplant onto the Saints roster, that's
1: the guy. Oh, my God.
0: definitely the guy.
1: He is a Saints killer, right? I mean, he just, every time we play him, he's just everywhere. Like, Keekly had a game where I think he had, like, 23 tackles against us, and this guy still annoys me more. Like, he just, oh, God, that guy. Like, I, I just, like, I, I, I want to know, like, hey, Are you into music? You want to go record an album maybe? You know, Shakespearean (laughs) acting. Maybe you want to take – just take a year or two. You're still young. Then you come back to the Falcons. You know, because I don't want to wish injury on him because that's bad karma. So I'm trying to think, like, what else maybe could he do in the world? Maybe he's like LeBron. He wants to build a school somewhere. Focus on that. Be a principal for a few years. You know, I don't know.
0: Maybe he'd go play for
1: the Lakers. Esports you know? are <laughs> Esports are really popular. Maybe he's into Fortnite. Maybe he wants to take two years, try to win a Fortnite championship.
0: <laughs> well, who isn't into Fortnite these
1: days? Right. Know? I'm Maybe just I'm team. just Matt, I'm just spitballing. You know, I'm looking out for the kid and I'm thinking, is, there, is is there something that he can only do now, you know, that I'd hate to see him miss out on. That's all. Just spitballing. Um give me your worst case and best case scenario record wise in your mind
0: worst case scenario
1: 7 and 9 right i, I mean they can't do worse than that yeah
0: i that's that's where I, that's where i was going to exactly land at 7 and 9 i think this team is too balanced and too good on both sides of the ball to fall short of that number best case scenario if you just go through their schedule again i think the start is so important and Maybe Roger Goodell has gotten over his bounty grudge because for once, for the first time in a long time, the teams actually have a reasonable start to the schedule, where you get the Bucks at home, the Browns at home, at Atlanta. That's going to be your big bellwether early game, but then you get the Giants and the Redskins after that. So I'm looking four and one going into the bye week. Then you come out of it, and yeah, it does get a little harder. Road trips to Baltimore, Minnesota. Big back to back there with the Vikings and the Rams. You've got a couple showcase games against the Falcons, um, against the Cowboys. You've got the Panthers twice in the last three weeks. Best case scenario, given it is the schedule of the division winner, I'm going to go 12 and 4. Uh, if everything comes together, the defense takes another step forward. Hopefully, you, you maintain. Um, what the offense is doing with the running game. Realistically, maybe Kamara and Ingram take a step back. Ingram, of course, is going to miss the four games at the beginning of the season due to suspension. But I, I think you'd expect maybe a bit more strength in the passing game. So I, I'd say 12-4 and four is a pretty good best-case scenario. First round bye, um, maybe even home field advantage, who knows. But you're going to have a lot of these top teams, Vikings, Eagles, Rams, Saints, playing each other throughout the season. So there's going to be a number of marquee games that you can point to that could very well decide who gets home field, who gets a first-round bye, and who doesn't.
1: The NFC is kind of like one of those years when the SEC is stacked. And like one of two things are going to happen. One of the teams is going to establish themselves, run the table, and be the top dog. Or it's just going to be that the league's so good they're just going to keep picking each other off. And someone's going to win that league at you know, eight and three, but at least it's pro football, not college, so that's not a death sentence. You know what I mean? Um, yeah,
0: and it's hard to see anyone in the NFC going fifteen and one or fourteen and two. Yeah, the league's just too something tough, like
1: that. Yeah, it's just too tough. And and I I'm I'm not sold on Philly, really. You know, I mean, maybe I should be. You know, I think that they. They're one of those teams. I feel like maybe like Baltimore that one year where they just they just had a run, you know. They just made a run. Everything Mm -hmm. went right. Maybe I'm wrong, you know. Minnesota changed their quarterback. That's that's I'd be scared about that, you know. The Rams the Rams are the team I'm really worried about. Variables in play, yeah.
0: And I'm totally with you. I think the Rams are the team to watch out for. With Jared Goff in that offense, and they've added so many big pieces. Brandon Cooks, Indama Kinsu, Marcus Peters. Th- those are some big additions. And with what they were already doing, I know they lost the home game in the playoffs last year, but that's a team that if they're able to take another step forward, look out.
1: Yeah. And we've never, ever played good in LA, right? I mean, that's just like one of those places where. You know, going back to the days of the NFC West, it just feels like you go there, it's a 4 o'clock Eastern game, it's light out, the grass field looks ugly and dead, you know, our jerseys don't look right in the sun or something, and it's 13 to nothing at 435, and it's just like, ugh, you know, just please, just end this game. You know, before you know it, they're giving the 60-minute ads. Except on the West Coast, 60 minutes is next. And it's like, you know, 31 to 20. And you're just like, ugh. You know, so the the Rams are a team I just, they bother me. And how about Brandon Cooks? Like, is he the guy, because he's played so well. He played really well for us. And I think the Saints were like, we're not going to pay him. We're not going to pay him and Mike Thomas. So we got to make a decision here. And they pulled the trigger. And then he. Seemingly played pretty well for the Patriots, and they were like, nah, no, we're not going to pay him either. And they pulled the trigger. Now he's at least found a team, the Rams, who did pay him. But it's weird, isn't it? Like, what's with... For his talent and his output, because he hasn't been a bust, for him to be on three teams is kind of astonishing, no?
0: It is strange. And throughout the first part of his career in New Orleans, he never really seemed like a diva wide receiver. Never really seemed like... Yeah, an attitude and then all of a sudden it was like the, the uh, switch was flipped.
1: That one game, right? And Where he didn't he get didn't... any catches and he was all pissy about yeah. it? Yeah.
0: And the, the switch was flipped and he demanded the trade. And any receiver that demands a trade out of a sh- uh,
1: Sean payton drew Brees offense, <laughs> Right. Man, I
0: don't know if there's many, any other quarterbacks that want throwing me the ball and he found the one guy. The one, right. Brady in New England and that didn't work out in a long term either. So yeah, it is is weird, especially given his age and his talent and his output, as you said. Um, that's a strange one, but we'll see. Maybe, again, for the Rams, he's one of those pieces that's going to help put them over the top. It's kind of like, you know, as a soccer guy, you you go into every season, and in the English Premier League, you know the top five or six teams are just going to add three or four pieces each that are going to make their team even deeper, even stronger, so you know you've got to just continue to add guys right. to try to keep pace with the rest of the elite teams. I feel like it's almost been that way in the NFC this year where you see the Saints, the Rams, all of the you know, Minnesota not resting on their laurels, and going out now with the the high-profile quarterback change that teams are still staying aggressive because they know they have to in order to stay at the top.
1: And I like what we added. With that said, like, I like what we did. I really do. You know, I've always trusted Mickey Loomis. I think he's done a great job overall. There's been some misses, obviously, but he's been here over a decade. So, of course, there's going to be some misses. You know, I mean, just the the Hall of Fame GMs, you know, they all have them too. So, I mean, I, I feel comfortable mm-hmm. with them. Um, maybe the like – a couple of real quick ones. Maybe the answer is Marcus Williams, but who do you think is the guy this year – that's gonna kind of make a jump from good saint to great saint.
0: I would love to see if it was Marker Williams. And yeah. the thing that stood out to me the most—he intercepted Drew Brees. What was it? Three times, three days in a row. Yep. During the uh, the practices, and Drew Brees dropped the Ed Reed comparison. And if there's any modern day safety you'd want to be compared to, yeah, it's Ed Reed. Reed yeah. So if the Saints even get 30% of Ed Reed out of Marcus Williams, they're going to have one heck of a player. So I'm excited to see how he rebounds from that. And if he really is making those jumps, that would be tremendous.
1: What's your plans for the Super Bowl? Have you planned a party yet? or <laughs> Are you thinking about maybe going down there to watch it or maybe go to the game? Like, what Have you made any plans yet? That's a joke. Don't answer that.
0: I am trying to put <laughs> karma on my side. So that's a many, joke. That you know, was a Macon joke. Yeah. Was, all of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing no. that, you know,
1: coming off of our history. Right. Well, we did to this is, team in 2014. This is probably true. Yeah. But we did to this team in 2014. They cost me two direct <laughs> TV remotes that, that 2014 team. And one of them went down in at least a hundred pieces. My wife still, <laughs> I think my wife is still horrified about the It was the golden Tate touchdown that, uh, that, there's like a two yard swing pass on a third and 31 and he took it 91 yards and i took a direct tv remote and like put it through the wall um matt yoder is a good friend of this program he comes on every year with me to gush about the saints and how great they're going to be and he also writes for awful announcing and the comeback and real quick before i let you go give us an update how are things going with the websites
0: Grow grow, uh, awesome things are going with awful announcing for us. was covering all things sports media, and it's amazing to me to see the interest in sports media how it has continued to grow and grow and grow. And I started writing for that website. Uh, I want to say all the way back in two thousand and nine, which sounds absurd and crazy, uh, but it's been now almost something like eight, nine, ten years with awful announcing, and. When we started out with that, of course, Brian Powell founded this. It was kind of one of the pillars of the early blogosphere with uh, Deadspin and the Big Lead and some of those other big sites. And for it to be around for so long, to grow in prominence, and I just kind of had to. Uh, I was watching with my wife the other night uh, to visit when Fox was running their Thursday night ads for Thursday night football, and they were quoting like the New York Times and all these pieces. You see marquee matchups, awful announcing, I like. And it was funny in our group chat because some of the guys were like I don't know if we remember saying that exactly, but you know it's kind of cool that we're being the way alongside some of these other like huge mainstream outlets. So that's just been kind of cool to see uh, how the site has grown, um, gain in relevance. Where now it's really kind of a mainstream outlet, if you will. Uh, so it's just been fun to be part of that ride.
1: Well, listen, Matt, why don't you plug everything so people know. What they need to follow and where they need to go and all that.
0: So, all things sports media. Follow us at awfulannouncing on Twitter. And you can like us on Facebook as well. You can check out our general sports site, or sister site, which is the comeback Lots of great columns, insights there, kind of the fun, quirky side of sports and culture as well. That's on Facebook and well, on Twitter at the comeback. And then you can follow me there for all my. Things and updates on, on SC.
1: Awesome. Much better that time. Matt, thanks for all the time. Go Saints! Uh, I'm sure we'll be tweeting back and forth on and off during the season. Maybe a text message here or there. Uh, thanks for all the time. I look forward to this every year. Uh, and we'll talk soon.
0: And we look forward to maybe a special February Super Bowl Champions
1: edition Absolutely. all right buddy it's always a pleasure All right, I want to thank Matt Yoder and Aaron Schatz for being on the podcast today. Don't forget to pick up a copy of the Football Outsiders Almanac. It's available on their website or, of course, on Amazon as well. The Sportscasters podcast can be found on our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash sports casters. You can find me on Twitter at sports underscore casters. You can also email me the sportscasters at gmail.com and please listen to the show on Apple podcasts where maybe you might want to give us a rating or a review. Uh, I hear those are helpful. Uh, You can also find us on stitcher or wherever podcasts are found. And again, if there's somewhere you're trying to listen and we're not there, reach out the sportscasters at gmail.com and I'll try to fix that. I always like to give a shout out to my partner in the Adams division podcast, Peter Winson uh, his awesome show, Greetings from Allentown, is in all of the same spots as Sportscasters is. And you can follow him on Twitter, at GF GFAllentownPod. Uh, the Adams Division Podcast, where we review SummerSlam's 1988 to 1998 and rank them, will be available next week. You can find it on the Greetings from Allentown feed or the Pro Wrestling Only feed in conjunction with Place to Be Nation. Uh, that's it for the plugs. Uh, next week, I believe we should have Jeff Passon on the show. Uh, hopefully the ESPN fantasy guy with nearly a million followers I've been hinting at uh, will be on next week. But as Don and I used to always say as I record right now, it's still a very fluid uh, situation. Uh, one last thing for me this week, uh, not quite as heavy as the last couple weeks. I wanted to take a second to talk about hard knocks. Hard knocks. Has returned to HBO, and this year they are following around the Cleveland Browns, and we are one episode in. I am a die-hard Hard Knocks fan. I'm in this, I'm in this, uh, uh, you know, group chat on Facebook, and I was shocked to find that there's people who think this is boring or that the concept itself is worn out. And I know that. Look at not every season is as good as every season because not every team they pick. Ultimately, is as interesting. Uh, you know the Cincinnati Bengals season when Chad Johnson was saying things like "kiss the baby," and he captivated our lives for five weeks. I think that was like around 2009. Amazing season, right? Uh, the one Cowboy season where Terrell Owens was constantly running around with his shirt off. Awesome. Uh, the Falcons season, no surprise, total dud. Uh, five weeks of fighting, no interesting people, just awful. Uh, the Houston one, eh, nah, not that great, right? I am very optimistic about the Cleveland one this year. Very optimistic. I thought it got off to a great start. Uh, I think Baker Mayfield is going to be a really interesting character. Uh, Jarvis Landry seems like he's posi- positioning himself uh, to be the T.O. and the, uh, the Ocho Cinco. Of uh, this year's show, you know the the outlandish wide receiver character who says crazy things and is spectacular on the field, and is just really interesting to learn about. Uh, the first episode had its moments. I mean, there was this really sad, this really sad kind of thread throughout throughout it of the uh, the death of Coach Hugh Jackson's mom, and it was just really interesting to see how an NFL coach. You know, deals with the death of his mother during training camp. You know, my wife was really taken back about how he would be crying one second and telling people about his death. And then he'd be like, all right, now in this play here, we're in cover two. Um, and she just, you know, she just couldn't understand it. Um, and it was just, uh, I thought, really fascinating. Uh, Baker Mayfield gets an RV for the boys, uh, for the QPs. Uh, and the RV was pretty interesting. Like I said, we got to learn a little bit about Jarvis Landry, uh, and it's just such an interesting team because they've literally won one game in two seasons, you know. And now here they are, you know, a trust the process type team for the NFL, uh, loaded with young talent and mixing that with high-priced free agents that, like Jarvis Landry, uh, that they were able to add because they had such a so much cap space. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see how it comes together and kind of what I think about the Browns. One dangerous part of Hard Knocks is I find myself very much overvaluing uh, the players on it for fantasy purposes. So like I'm worried I'm going to watch Hard Knocks and end up, you know, drafting Duke Johnson in in round two uh, <laughs> and ruining my fantasy seasons. But man, I love Hard Knocks. I will. That it's not quite the Drew Brees bandwagon where, you know, I'm going to be the last one on that thing as it's headed over Niagara Falls. I'll still be hanging on, but I will watch Hard Knocks and I will watch every episode and I usually watch them twice because I need to watch them when they come out at 10 o'clock on Tuesday and uh, Tammy's already in bed and she likes to watch Hard Knocks so I'll watch it again with her the next day. Uh, and I will do that as long as they keep putting the shows out there. I mean, I am just a, a huge, a huge Hard Knocks mark, and I, I love, I love it. I can't wait for it every year. You know, I want to watch Hard Knocks. I wanna, I want to see it. And, um, you know, I think the Browns were a good choice. You know, I'm obviously as an Oklahoma guy. There's a soft spot in my heart for Baker Mayfield. You know, so I want to see how he comes off, which was very likable. There's a scene in the first episode where Baker gets his hotel room for camp and he's rooming with Nick Chubb and he's there first and he walks in and he says if I was Nick Chubb which bed would I want to sleep on and he decides that it would be this bed so he takes the other one which I thought was a really cool kind of look into into his leadership but I'm all in it's hard knock season we're getting closer to football thanks to Aaron and Matt